0: The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Rogers News.
1: The climate crisis
2: is about human security, economic security,
1: environmental security, national security. And the very life of the planet. Joe Biden offered that stark assessment at COP27, the climate summit that is being held in Sharm el-Sheikh this week. With our man George Hay on the ground, the global meeting is the focus of this week's Views Room. Welcome back to the Views Room, the podcast from Reuters Breaking Views, where columnists from around the world talk about the big stories of the week. I'm your host, Amy Donlin, coming to you from London. It's a tricky backdrop for a climate conference. The war in Ukraine has caused the price of energy to soar and made it difficult for countries to fund the climate investment that is needed. Meanwhile, the heavy-hitting bank CEOs that organizers would like to see are no-shows, but big oil is controversially out in force. George Hay, EMEA editor of Breaking Views, is on the ground and discussed what the climate meeting's challenges are and what successes could lie ahead. Stay tuned to hear all about it. Egypt is the setting for COP27 and my colleague George Hay, EMEA editor of Breaking Views, is there on the ground to tell us how it's going, what's being discussed in the background and what, I guess, hope there is for the future. Hi, George. Hi there. Well, so I'm I'm curious, George. I mean, this is obviously a bit different from Glasgow, um, but I just wondered if you could tell us what's your experience there so far? What is COP27 like? And maybe how is it different from what you saw when you went to Glasgow last year?
3: Well, as, <laughs> to be trite, it's a lot hotter um, and it's a lot of, there's a lot of kind of um, uh, there's, a, there's a kind of sense that um, whereas, whereas COP26 was a you know, real, the eyes of the world are on this event and of feel to it. Um, COP27 is rather different from that in a negative way. And to be fair to COP27 uh, and its Egyptian organisers, it was already it was always going to be like that a little bit because COP26 was a massive standout event. And the um, event next year, COP28 in the UAE, is uh, when they're going to formally review how, how, uh, um, how progress on the 2015 Paris Agreement on decarbonisation is, is doing. Um, this one was always a bit in between. And so there's a slight feel of kind of, Uh, you know uh, it's not the be-all and end-all like Glasgow was last year and also you know obviously there are other things going on in the world like the energy crisis Um, I mean in terms of what's actually being discussed and um, wrangled over there's the usual stuff about trying to get more developed world cash to the developing world um, in order to kind of help them decarbonize which is remains absolutely critical that is always a very political um, bit of a nightmare. And it's not actually very clear what, what's going to happen with that. The one thing that is kind of rather concerning um, is that uh, they are talking... It's quite possible that uh, the uh, the upshot of this agreement at COP27 may be to kind of like water down the... Basically, to, to water, water down the, the target for um, uh, maintaining global warming to 1.5 degrees... Uh, degrees Celsius, like the danger is that's going to be kind of uh, watered down to 1.5 to 2 degrees. Now, that may not seem like a a lot, but um, it's it is a lot um, for uh, the amount that um, global warming can mess up the planet. And the reason why they're doing that is because there's a lot of um, countries that don't want to go as fast on decarbonisation or don't have the money to do so. And that is the kind of big question at the moment.
1: And is that made worse George by the obviously the war in Ukraine and as you mentioned sort of energy price spikes that it's harder for countries now i suppose to afford the sort of measures that need to be taken in order to get yeah, them to uh, those targets.
3: Absolutely. I mean that's 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 the kind of main reason why um uh political attention is is elsewhere. I mean it, it, it people th- there are some concerns on the ground that, um you know I have talked to people who say you know what the big danger with cops is that they kind of just kind of wither on the vine and as it becomes more likely or more concerning that we're not going to hit the targets then um people just start to not turn up at these things um personally I actually don't think that's and I mean that 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 is what some people are worried about but um personally having talked to other people there's a there's a real sense that um cop 28 in you may be quite a, a game changer, because there's a sense that um, the UAE, which is obviously one of the big world, world's biggest oil producers, um, if they were to kind of grasp the nettle, which they show some signs of doing, and, and kind of, you know, become a big oil producer who's really, really serious about um, the transition and kind of having, setting detailed targets and plans for transitioning to renewable energy. Uh, then that would be quite a game changer, and it would really create a kind of quite a big, quite a different vibe to uh, where we are at the moment. Um, so, I mean, it's, it, it's a bit uh, there's there's a kind of concern that there's a lot of watering down um, happening, but I think possibly the key thing is that, um, uh, and this is a theme of people I've talked to is it's not really there's a kind of understanding that. There's a lot being done in terms of the rollout of renewable energy. Um, renewable energy is more cost-effective than fossil fuel energy, particularly at the moment, and um, that is kind of motoring ahead, and uh, that is a cause for um, you know uh, optimism. And I think like you know exactly what they do and don't dis- don't um, don't decide um, at the end of COP27. Uh, even if it's a bit of a damp square. square but I don't think it's, you know, it's, it's not like the, the fight against climate change is over because there's a lot going on elsewhere.
1: Absolutely. And I mean, there was in the lead up to COP27, there was concern that, you know, the the big kind of corporates, the big heavy hitters weren't mm. attending. I mean, is is that in reality what happened? Because I know that obviously the British Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak, changed his mind and did actually I- end up attending. I'm just kind of curious, what, what what kind of people are you seeing there? Are you seeing some of the really big, the really big company bosses of the world?
3: Yeah, well, that's another thing that's kind of changed a bit. I mean, last last, um, I mean, the, the main the main kind of um, financial bit was uh, more last week, but um, uh, it was clear in the run up to that that the you know real captains of industry, the, the you know the, the heads of banks, the chief executives. Um, they weren't necessarily making the trip. And at the same time, that coincided with um, this umbrella organisation, the Glasgow Financial Alliance for Net Zero, CHI fans. That that also kind of watered down its its, its requirements for its members, who are the biggest banks in the world, in terms of their decarbonisation plans, because um, they basically, a bit like what's happening at the conference itself, they were kind of... um, Backing away a little bit from the idea that everyone had to be gunning for 1.5 degrees um, uh, Celsius in terms of global warming, um, in terms of their decarbonisation plans and what they were planning. So, um, so yeah, there's a definite feeling that that's it's kind of stepped down for the you know the biggest the big business players, the big banks and not necessarily here. Actually, when it when it comes to the oil um, and energy companies, there's quite a lot of them here, um, the CEO of Total, Total Energies, um, Patrick Boyani, he was here. Um, and in fact, actually, that's one of the uh, slightly controversial things because um, a lot of the kind of NGOs and the uh, uh, green focused uh, people here, they're all like, why are, the, why are these big oil oil companies here? Why, why is Aramco here? And, you know, they're part of the problem. Um, I can, and I totally see, where they're coming from on that and they were slightly kind of a lot of them weren't really invited to Glasgow last year at COP26 Um, but personally I have a slightly kind of uh, contrarian take on that which is like what you what you increasingly see is the the, the important thing with um, green investment and um, the energy of transition is that you kind of need to go where the emissions are and you kind of need to get these big emitters like the big oil companies to do something and so to do that, you need, you need to have them in the conversation. Now, to the extent, to the extent they're just turning up and greenwashing, that's uh, obviously no help at all, but um, the, the hope is that that's not what's happening.
1: Absolutely. And George, you were lucky enough to, to chat to some people who were, were, were good to go on the record. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about those conversations?
3: Yeah, so um, I spoke to um, James Cameron, who's uh, uh, a senior kind of climate advisor going back. Um, over the decades, really, and he's seen you know, a veteran of many cops. And I was asking him about um, how much of a problem it was that COP27 was uh, risking being a bit of a damp squib. Um, and he, he, he was actually kind of, um, he did make you know, two key points, some of which we've already kind of discussed. Like, well, first, firstly, he's a very big believer that it's not about just the text, what's, what's, what's in the text at the end of the, the um, uh, meeting, it's kind of about the conversations that are going on around it and what it says for decarbonisation. And secondly, um, he's, he's very, very uh, uh, bullish about COP28 and the, the conversations that are going on around the UAE and what their ambitions are. Uh, so he almost made me feel optimistic about it. So, <laughs> so that's quite good. So what do you think is the most positive thing that can come out of COP27? You have to accept that all of
2: these Events and maybe particularly at this one, that some of the most interesting and positive outcomes are not contingent upon the text itself. Yeah. That every now and again that shifts. So it's the a, text
3: they agree at the end. Yeah. Right? There's
2: there's a major uh, lawmaking event like there was in Paris, say, yeah. or or an event like Glasgow where there was a a, a need to come forward with greater levels of commitment based upon what was agreed in Paris, because it was a review event. This one isn't like that. Uh, This is is about keeping momentum, it's a staging post, Uh, it's about not backsliding, it's about implementing what was agreed before, but the implementation itself is largely done by a range of actors who, who don't have to wait for the outcome of a paragraph
3: in a declaration at the end of the week. And, and I suppose the other thing is, it's, there's work being uh, going on at the moment for the next COP and that COP could be more meaningful.
2: There's no doubt that the Emiratis, the, the UAE, who are the next president of the process, are determined to make it a highly significant event and they have the resources to do that. They want to put on a big show, a big show of their capacity to invest in a different future, which I find very compelling. They are serious about making an energy transition. Difficult though that is to imagine today when they are a major petroleum exporter and so are all of their fellow uh, Gulf states. But what better focal point for an event than Uh, energy transition in an energy producer nation. It's a very good way of judging the seriousness of commitment. It's also true that they have, partly because of the war in Ukraine, they have an enormously, uh, seriously large amount of capital to invest in a transition that's ultimately in their own interests. The hedge between high and low carbon is a historically important economic hedge. Their future, their viability as a, as a society, is dependent upon the climate change issue being resolved, yeah. and they have the means to invest in that transition. You could argue about how fast, uh, what the, what, how quickly can you escape the dependency on fossil fuels, whether you're a producer or a consumer, yeah. uh, hard to judge, but frankly, given the exponential improvement in the cost, availability and usefulness of all the alternatives to fossil fuels, it's quite likely that the the, the non-fossil fuel future
3: comes further comes forward faster than the exporters yeah. can possibly imagine. Yeah, and then uh, the, the the second the second conversation we have is with um, a chap called Mike Kinsley, who's the deputy director of the Energy Transitions Commission, and they are a real um, they're real number crunchers on on what the various different things that are going on mean for the actual kind of emissions, and, uh, and, and they're very good at kind of keeping, keeping a tab on that. And, and he was just very, he's, he's very kind of pithy on um, the things that are going quite well. they perhaps surprisingly going well um, compared to last year at COP26. But he also gave us a little rundown of what's going less well. So, Mike, um, from a kind of 2030, you know, trying to reduce our uh, global emissions, or um, well, half them, right? Yeah. What you're on top of the numbers. What's what? What, what are you seeing that's positive, and what's less positive?
0: Yeah. So, so when 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 we look at what's What's good and what's bad? We think there's three areas where we're going well and four areas we're worried about. So what's going well is renewable build, particularly in big markets like China, the yeah. EU, and the US. Yeah. Electric vehicles, electric mobility in the same markets, yeah. um, and heavy industry in terms of you know developments in low carbon steel to some extent in things like green ammonia, aluminium, synthetic aviation fuel as well. So there's really good progress there. You know. <laughs> driven by the private sector as well. The four things we then worry about is we're not phasing out existing coal and power generation quickly enough, and we're going to need some kind of grant money to to help assist that. We're not making enough progress on deforestation, um, which is five gigatons of emissions a year, and we're far off the kind of levels of funding we would need to to probably deal with that. We're not making progress reducing methane emissions, both fossil methane emissions and biogenic methane emissions. And we're not getting money for the clean energy transition into markets outside of the EU, US and China. To some extent, we might be in India, but in, in other emerging markets, we need to scale up the funding that's going into those. It's hard to see how you materially make progress on that
1: in the next couple of years. Well, George, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks very much. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast was produced by Oliver Tashlich in London. Subscribe to The Views Room and our sister podcast, The Exchange, on Acast, Megaphone or wherever you like to listen. Check out our latest views on these stories and many others at BreakingViews.com and on Twitter, where our handle is at BreakingViews.